Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited to be back. It's been a, a couple of weeks. I've been in, was in Costa Rica and in, uh, uh, in Austin. Is it Austin for a minute? But we're back into a series. But let me just start here. You guys know our mission, love, learning to love and live like Jesus. We're about relationship with God, relationship with others, and sharing our, our great story. We're in this series, Jesus in a Bottle, and it's been a, a couple of weeks. Here's my, my wife's favorite bottle that I'm not allowed to break. But um, it, it, imagine this being that bottle that we like to rub. And a couple of weeks ago, what we talked about was this. We talked about Jesus in a Bottle, costly grace, and we talked about cheap grace. What does it mean for a uh, costly grace versus cheap grace? Cheap grace is an emphasis on the benefits of Christianity without a cost involved. It'd be like, and I use the, the, the example of the natural spirit, it's like having a relationship with your wife with no cost involved. You know what I'm talking about, man. You know, cleaning, listening, doing all that stuff that we do. Come on, that was Is there like a little reverb or something? Can you hear that a little bit? Um, is it bothersome? Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Um, what is costly grace? Costly grace is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's the gospel. It didn't cost us. It cost him everything. And it's a free gift that he gives us. And what we said is this. The Jesus in the bottle is the one that, that rubs the bottle. And it's that cheap grace. I want what I want. And I want it now. And the costly grace is God calls us through his son to die to that. To us. To ourselves. Cheap grace is transactional. There's a transaction that is going on. If I do this, God, if you do this, God, I will do that. That's the transaction that happens when we rub the bottle. But the relational Jesus is this free gift that happens when, when Christ goes to the cross. And I want to I take a little further today and, and, and talk about who Jesus is and the importance of this context of Jesus the bottle. Who does Jesus say he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? We start off with this scripture and it says this. It says, now then Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He goes on and it says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosened in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time and, and this word. And Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear tonight, Father God. 
that you'd speak to us where we are, that you'd reveal yourself to us in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, 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 an incredibly important subject. The life and death hinge on answering this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you think he is? Now it's interesting, there's two questions, two distinct answers that come about when Jesus asks these two questions. And if you know anything about Jesus, he's, it's very interesting what he asks and the setups that he gives us. He says the first time, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Do you think Jesus really cares? Do you think he really, when he says, who does, this is the Jesus in the bottle. It's like, who does the church, if the church was just this, you know that whole thing? I would go to church if it was just cleaner, nicer, and people were better. But all you church people, are, you ever hear that from your friends? Am I the only one? <laughs> okay. But it's, it's that Jesus, who do they say the Son of Man is? And he really wasn't worried about that question. See, that's the smokescreen of Jesus in the bottle. It's that big picture of, I go to church twice a month. I pay my tithe. I, I go to Bible study. I do all these things. It's the religion. It's the transaction. And Jesus doesn't care about that. And we're in this church culture that builds around this principle of church. Hey, let's get the smoke machines. Let's get the big screens. Let's, get the, let's make it look so good. Because I think Jesus would have done that. And then he turns it to what he really wanted to say. What he really wants to ask you and I today. Or he's asked you at some point in your life. He says this, but who do you say I am? Who do you believe me to be? See, he takes it from this nebulous, churchy, religious thing that they really down to the boom, the heart, the eternal hope. And everything swings on this question. Everything in life. If God is who he says he is, the creator of heaven and earth, and if Jesus did what God said he did, went to the cross and died for our sins, if that is true, this one question, this one, everything hinges on that. Who do you say? As we examine this tonight, I want you to look at your own hearts. Maybe even for a second right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Now it's easy to go, he's the Savior, he's my Savior, he's my Lord. But take that question, who do you say Jesus is, what you think, and then look at your life and see if the two match up. Uh, let's just be real. It, it may match up really well in your life, not so much in my life all the time. It, it, there's this gap between who I believe Jesus to be and how I live so many times. I know it's a shocker to all of you, because I know you all think that I'm so right on the money. Don't cuss, don't swear, don't drink, and, and a great husband. Of course. Of course. This is God. Peter answers with this new revelation. I love this, this is where we see. Peter, you know, we know the story of Peter. We see the totality of Peter's life, so for him to answer this, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He has this revelation of who Jesus is. But Jesus says this, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. See, it's this Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that reveals the Son to us, so that we can know the Father. 
And Jesus literally said, Peter, you're finally getting it. Peter, after all these years, all this time that we've spent together, you get it. You know who I am. You understand who I am. And he says this, and Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. The Greek word is Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now, in the Catholic Church, they believe when they say, when they say hey, I will build this, on this statement, I will build my church. They believe it is, is the papacy. They believe it's the Pope. Peter, which they believe is the first Pope, is what Jesus is speaking to when he says, I will build on this. But when you look at the Greek, it's really interesting. It's in the Greek, when you look at it, it says Peter, the name Petros, it's a little stone. But then when you look at the word that comes after, upon this, it's this Petra, the rock, it's this large, massive stone. So when you, you look at the, 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 the word and the way it's put together, the statement, you wouldn't say that Jesus would say that Peter's the one he's building it on. He's building it on the confession that Peter makes. He says, this is what my church will stand on. My church will stand on what you think and who you think I am, Jesus. Everything will happen because of what you and the revelation you get of me and who I am, Christ, the Savior. And Peter has this revelation. Interesting thing is, as you read your scriptures, you ever wonder why, I don't know if you did, I, I, I'm I geeked out a little bit on this and just kind of, Several times in the scripture, Peter recognizes Jesus. But this is the first time that Jesus ever goes, hey, now you get it. But let me, for you and I, have you ever had glimpses into who Jesus was? But he wasn't really your Lord and Savior. I mean, throughout my life, I look at the times where I go, oh, there, there's a glimpse of who he is. But when I look at my life, it doesn't match up. The revelation of who Jesus doesn't match up to what I've seen. And we see this in the life of Peter. We see this very clearly. The first time we see it is this. When Jesus multiplies the fish. Says this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and lap down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, in this, this moment when Jesus has this great revelation, we think that he actually knows who Jesus is. There was a time in my life where I would go to church and I would sit in worship and I'd hear this great message and, and that the spirit would move and these emotions would go. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this motion that we have of Jesus and you start crying. I didn't cry. She probably cried. But you have all these emotions that go forth and you're like, oh, I'm just experiencing Jesus. Or in this, this time in life where you're in a jam. Has anybody ever been in a financial jam or a life jam? And you go, oh, Jesus, if you'll just rescue me here, everything, I will worship you. I'll go to church every Sunday, and I will bless you in everything that I do. Am I the only one who does that? Thank you. It's this emotional trick. Jesus does this miracle. And at the miracle, Peter has this great revelation. He goes, oh, you must be Jesus. Because of the emotional high that he experiences. Jesus multiplies his fish, and, and Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But he doesn't say this, on this rock I will build my church. Peter has this revelation 
of who Jesus is at this moment, but it's a picture into who he is. Not unlike many of us, not unlike the movements in the church, where there are time and time again that you see these great miracle movements of God. And people have these glimpses of who Jesus is, but it doesn't stick. 1996, you ever heard of the Toronto movement? The Toronto Blessing? No? Okay. There's this, in 96, there's this thing called the Toronto Blessing in Toronto. The, the miracles were busting out left and right. Like crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. I, I was actually planning, we, were, we, were, we had a lockout year, so I was back here, and I'm like, I'm going to go check this out. So I flew up to Toronto to see what this was all about. Because there are there literally thousands of people, and they were coming from all over the world because of these, these miracles and stuff. And I went, and it was, it was a little crazy, a little too charismaniac for me. I mean, there there's some strange stuff, and, and but I couldn't deny that God was doing some pretty incredible stuff. But what I noticed was this. It was an emotional reaction to Jesus. It was an emotional reaction to what was going on, moved by emotion. And here's what I know about human nature. If emotions move in you in your relationship with Jesus, although there are emotional times, but if the primary movement in your relationship with your wife or with your husband or with friends is an emotional one, you're in trouble. It is the sustainability of knowing who she is, understanding her, walking in intimacy with her, experiencing life with her, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all those things that sustains this relationship, not the high after a good time out at night together and whatever, I won't go there, but not that, but it's this depth of emotion. Second time, Jesus walks on water. We see this miracle again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. The disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to, to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When they climbed in the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Again, we see this incredible miracle that's taking place. Jesus walking on water. I look at my life and there are times I've seen Jesus literally walking on water, figuratively walking on water in my life and delivering me from something that I thought I couldn't be delivered from. Watching Jesus do a miracle in my life that I thought would never happen. And the emotions of what happened took me somewhere. And Peter says this, truly you are the son of God. Again, has this revelation of who Jesus is. But again, Jesus does not say, on this rock, I will build my church. On the emotions of a, of a, of, of a miracle that God does. See, the, the, the religion, the genie in the bottle is this. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. And I want an absence of you and a relationship with you. And many times I find myself doing that. Going to the bottle asking for a miracle. When the miracle really is this intimacy with the creator of heaven and earth. That which sustains is that relationship. So Jesus again, after Peter declares truly you're the Son of God, doesn't say, on this statement I will build my church. Jesus goes on. He feeds 5,000 people. 
I mean, quite a feat. Pretty incredible. He feeds these 5,000 people. He says this, so Jesus said to the 12, and after he fed the 5,000, all, all the disciples were around him, and, and he started talking. We actually preached on it a few weeks ago, and Jesus starts to draw some lines in the sand and, and really challenge the disciples and, and says some things, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And, and, and he goes on and says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Because people were starting to leave Jesus. The emotions of what happened were starting to wear off. Now all of a sudden that when I rubbed my bottle and Jesus didn't answer my prayers, they started to walk away from him. When in my life, when I rub the bottle, he doesn't do what I say. And I go, oh, Jesus, who are you really? Why don't you do what I need you to do right now? And these people and the disciples started to scatter because of this very thing. But Peter says this. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Again, Jesus does this incredible miracle in front of Peter and all these men. He feeds the 5,000 and Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. And believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And again, we don't see Jesus say, on this rock, I will build my church. walking in this so-called relationship with Jesus and we're hanging on just by this God I need you to do this for me God I need you to do this for me now there's, there's such a tension here because there are requests that I make to the Father daily they're not God I need you there's a difference between God, I need you to meet this need. God, I need you to pay this bill. God, I need you to heal this relationship. God, I need you, I need you, the, the genie in the bottle. And this, this and the emotional aspect of that because of all the things that are going on and a real trust in who he is. See, each statement that we see that is made of Peter in the relationships are emotional reactions to a physical miracle. In the American church, we love to stir up the emotion. A big song in worship, everybody gets moved. A big preacher comes out, let me hear what it says. I'm not against those things. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, not an emotional experience that comes and goes. And each one that we see where Peter declares who Jesus is. And many times in our life when we declare who Jesus is, it's backed by an emotion that we have just experienced. So many of the fish they had, the nets were breaking. Yep, you're the Messiah, Peter says. You're dancing on water. Yep, you've got to be the Son of God. You fed a whole city, 5,000 people. You have to be God. Emotional statements. But there's one thing that changes everything in the statement that Jesus says in this, this verse in Matthew 16. He says this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell. Blessed are you, he says. He had never said that to him before. He had never said that to Peter. Blessed are you. And it differentiates all the times that Peter recognized Jesus or thought he did. And this one time. This word bless is makaros. It's, it's a Greek word, makaros. It's a fascinating word because as I'm studying and reading about this word, blessed. 
It's a Greek word that means supremely best. It is, it is incredibly fortunate. And literally, when you would talk to the disciples or the Jews at this time, when he used this word, this Greek word, makaros, it would refer, it would describe this island in Cyprus. And this island in Cyprus was perfect. In fact, they said that the, the, the sand on the beaches were, were beautifully grew, beautiful sand, perfect sand. They said the fruits and the vegetation on this island were just the best. They were, the, the way it grew and the, just how moist and how wonderful it was. It had abundant minerals on it. This island was the island that you wanted to live on. It was known to be that. And in fact, as you go deeper studying, I don't have time to get into it, but it said this. It was contained by a certain amount of people. And you could not move onto the island unless someone died and they had room for you. You couldn't just move. It was the perfectly contained island. And this Macarius, this word, refers to Cyprus, this island. So what Jesus said to Peter, he said, blessed are you. He said, Macarius, are you? What does that mean? It means this. There was a saying that if you lived on Cyprus, you never had to leave. Because everything that you would ever need for life was contained in this place. Everything that you need, every necessity of life. See, here's the key. Jesus is Cyprus. Jesus, Jesus is everything you and I will ever need in life. All the beauty that God could possibly want is captured in Him. And what He did on the cross for us. The spiritual food is sweet and, 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 and wonderful to taste. In Jesus is all the material talents, gifts we need to build a life with Christ. Cyprus, Macarius, was this, this contained island that everything you could ever need if you lived here. Jesus is Cyprus. He is everything that you need. So when God says, he sends his son, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Blessed are you, Peter. He says, you finally understand. You finally get it. That I am the creator of heaven and earth. And I am sufficient. And you don't need to go anywhere else. And you don't need that drug or that alcohol or that woman or that man or whatever it might be to satisfy you. You don't need the next job, the next dollar, the next house, the next car. I am all-encompassing in everything you need. Amen. And the church today goes, no, pray harder. Jesus will give you exactly what you want. We've missed it. See, Jesus in the bottle defines blessed as happy. In the American church, what we see many times when you look at blessed, they, they interchange it. They say happy. But the problem with happy is this. It's circumstantial. Happiness depends on what circumstance you are in. And the root word of happy is happenstance. Just by chance, I'm going to be happy because I stepped in a good situation. But what about the guy who steps in a bad situation? Just by chance, I married a great guy. What happens to the poor girl that married this sucky guy? Just by chance. Why did so many women look at your husbands? I know who you are. Okay. See, in, 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 in the American 
church and Jesus in the bottle. The end game is my happiness. And it, 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 I was with my buddy, and we were, we were talking, and he's not a Christian. Actually, that's not true. He's, he's, crazy. he's new in Christianity. He said this, you know, we're talking about life and difficult things that are going on. And this is an analogy. His, his dad told him, he said, look, if you take 20 men, and you all hold a bag that represents their marriage, throw it in the middle, and you can pick any bag. He said, 99.9% of the time, you're going to take your own bag back. Hmm. You know what? Everybody's got problems. Everybody's going through something. He used some more colorful words that started with S, bag of S. Uh, I didn't think I could get away with that this evening. But he, he said, yeah, you're welcome. He, the, the point is this. We look in these crowds and we look and everybody looks beautiful and happy and content and things are good. And I'm like, going, man, no one's got any problems here. It's just me that has the problems in life. And it's not true. See, Makarios, blessed. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. We look at the Sermon on the Mount and we go, oh, happy, happy are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. Really, have you seen a, a man who's poor in spirit that's just happy, happy, happy? Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word does not adequately describe happy are those who are going through difficulties. I'm not happy when I'm going through difficulties, but God is sufficient and I consider his joy. I'm not happy that I have to deal with the things that I have to deal with in life all the time. I'm not always happy with my kids. They're not always happy with me. But in, in, in the makaros of Jesus, I can do it. In the makaros of Jesus, I can stand in my job. I can stand in my finances. I can stand exactly where he's called me to be because he is enough. That's right. He is the Beatitudes and when he's happy in it doesn't translate well. Because the Beatitudes, the word that should be used is blessed. And the word that is used in the Greek is blessed, makaros. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. There's times when you're poor in spirit, and it's just not there. You're not running around doing jumping jacks and laughing. But you still understand that Jesus is enough. It doesn't mean you have to have the biggest smile on your face. And you can still understand that Jesus is enough. You may not know when the end is in sight, but you know that Jesus is enough. He is. Blessed is a completely different word than happy. Jesus' purpose in life, in your life, is not for you to be happy. I don't know if you guys know that. Did you know that? Now, that, oh gosh, I don't want to be... Debbie Downer, Chris Downer. I don't want to be a Downer person. You just got to know if you really got that one. She's not. She's not encouraging person. Um, I, I, look, look. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But the joy of the Lord is directly connected to this word blessed, makaros. The joy of the Lord is this: that I can sit in Him, Jesus, my hope, my strength, my peace, and His goodness. was going out and his key and end game for you and I is that you guys would be happy. Although he wants us to walk in joy. I love this. Larry Crabb said this. If we live for an experience of being happy, if we elevate desire to central status and living for nothing higher than its self-satisfaction, 
that we no longer are living by faith. We are idolaters, worshiping desire. We're no longer living for God. This is the church. This is the American church. Living for the motion of happiness. Living next to that bottle. Jesus, if I come, you're going to make my life better. He might not make it better. In fact, it might get worse. But is he enough? Is Makaros? Is Jesus enough? Can he get me through the difficult times? Because here's the key. My hope isn't today. My hope is future tense. Oh. The church has preached this gospel that the hope is that you be happy today. Do you want to be happy today if you live 5, 10, 30, 80 years on eternity? Jesus is talking about eternity. Jesus' purpose in your in, in you life is you would know him. And Father, stop it. I, I know that you laugh at it because I'm a dumb hockey player back there. There's an R in the end there. Jesus' purpose in your life is that you would know him and the Father. That you would glorify him in all that you experience and do. How? By walking in Makaras. See, the situations that you are walking in, if you can be blessed in them, you have hope. And people will look at you and go, how do you do that? You want to talk about evangelism? About making a difference in someone's life? Walk in the crap that you walk in in your life. Allow God to grab a hold of you. Sit in the middle of trusting Him and loving Him. And watch people look and say, how did you do it? Yeah. See, because the Christian, that I'm generalizing, the church I'm generalizing, sits in this place of, come down to the front. Jesus will make everything better. And you can go be a great neighbor to everybody because everything will be perfect. And it's not true. And when it's not perfect, then who do you get mad at? You get mad at Jesus. And Jesus said, wait, wait, you got this all wrong. I didn't promise you that there wouldn't be storms in life. I didn't promise you that your kids wouldn't go squirrely, your marriage might go squirrely, or your finances might go squirrely, or whatever it is, take your pick. I didn't promise you anything like that, because life is difficult. There's no way around it. But let me tell you what the hope is, what the answer is. There's only one, and it's Jesus. Yeah. The only thing that sustains, Makaros, the only one that's all-encompassing, the only one who gets you through a difficult time in your marriage and your life is Jesus. The only one who can bring hope in the midst of darkness. The only one who can bring hope in the midst of just complete chaos is Jesus. Amen. That's all I got. And nothing else. Crabtree goes on and says this. When God is the point of obedience, designed to bring him pleasure becomes the focus. Gosh, look at this. This is reversed from the world. When God is the point of obedience, I want to obey. I want to, the, to bring him pleasure becomes the focus. Then there will eventually be a fullness of happiness or joy that makes sin unthinkable and unappealing. Thoroughly repulsive. But that faithfulness of happiness, joy, comes later. Ah, in heaven. In this life, it's more about the hope than about joy. The church has flipped these two around. And we said it's about being happy here, not about the hope. And we put all of our eggs in this basket. Your better life now. Hear that one? Your better life now. No, my better life's then, not now. 
My better life's coming, not now. My hope is future kids, not now. Doesn't mean I don't want to have a good life. Doesn't mean I don't want to have a, a, a nice house. Doesn't mean I don't want to have a great marriage, great kids, money, and all those things. Absolutely. But I know that I know that I know that I know this, that Jesus is the one who sustains, not those things. Good. And no matter what I go through, whether I'm dying, whether I'm living, whether I have or I have not, what I know is this, my hope is not here, it's there, future tense. And this season, whatever it is you're going through, it may be a season that's a month, a year, or 10 years, or it may be death here, but when you come into a relationship with Christ Jesus, you have hope, and that hope is eternal. So my hope is there, not here. And when that thing doesn't go the way that I think that thing should go, when that life doesn't seem to be going the way I think that life should go, when it doesn't match up and when I've rubbed the Bible 500 times, so many times that my hands are bleeding and God still doesn't answer my prayers the way I think he should answer my prayers. I go, okay. I hope's in you. I hope's in you. Hope is future. Hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. Makaras. Perfect islands that is so well sustained that no one wants to leave. Jesus is that place. He is that place where he feeds me. And it's sweet and he brings hope and he brings help and he brings peace and he brings that joy. But it's not when I rub the bottle. It's when I enter into this relationship with him and realize that he is the answer. Jesus and Jesus alone. Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.